Hello and welcome to Thoughts on the Hoops. My name is Laura Bradburn and it's another week to discuss Celtic and everything coming out of Celtic Park. You may have seen on Twitter, you may have seen on the community tab that I'm having some technical issues with um, my new setup. I've just moved home and um, there's some issues with going live at the moment. So until I get those sorted out, unfortunately, the podcast is going to be pre-recorded. Now, if you're listening on the audio platforms, after the recording, then that's no different for you to normal. But um, my intention was always to do the podcast live and get some interaction from from you guys in the comments. Um, unfortunately, obviously, that's not been the case this week. It nearly wasn't the case last week. So we're just going to go ahead and um, do the pre-record. And hopefully, as soon as I've got everything back up and running, uh, I will let you know. <clears throat> in the meantime, just to make sure you don't miss anything, Get subscribed down below, like the video, um, share any of the clips that you think people might want to see. The, the more people that see and hear the podcast, the better it will get out there and hopefully um, we can get more guests on the podcast as a result of that because I know that you guys enjoy that as well. So, um, But we'll get started. Um, topic number one, obviously, um, we'll look at the Hibs game during the week. Lots to discuss about that and I do want to talk about a comment that, that Brendan Rodgers made um, in the aftermath of the, the game. But we'll go through the game first and I'll let you know my thoughts on exactly what I thought of how it went. Um, I mean, listen, I, I everybody knows that um, I had Alan Morrison on the podcast talking about the Rangers penalty situation. And while that sits in isolation and I don't believe is... Um, is it in any way connected? I do think, personally, keeping a low profile as far as that's concerned for the foreseeable future because two penalties in order to come overcome a Hibs side that is possibly one of the worst I've seen in maybe the last 20 years um, is it, something that, that doesn't sit well with me. Um, in terms of performances... Uh, apart from his two goals, I thought Adam Ida, and that is how you pronounce it, Adam Ida. Um, if you watch his interview on, I think, Celtic TV. Um, he not only scored the two penalties, and that's not to be underestimated because we've struggled to score penalties up until this point. Um, he also, I thought, provided something a little bit different up front. He provided a presence up front and an ability to hold up the ball and play other people in. I thought um, his finishing left a little bit to be desired. He did hit the bar. I know he ended up being offside, but there was a couple of chances he had that I thought maybe a more on-form striker or maybe a, a striker with be- better finishing ability in front of goal might have put that away. But it's the early days for the guy, and I think what you can't deny with him is that he was certainly um, fit, certainly... Um, willing to make runs, willing to make himself available, looking like he had the desire to win the match. Um, You could see when he scored those goals um, that he had an absolute passion for being back out in front of fans and in front of Celtic fans specifically. I thought he really, really um, sort of made himself about as endeared to the Celtic fans as he can be, considering, as we discussed last week, he kind of came in under a cloud because, through no fault of his own, Celtic fans were frustrated with the, the transfer window and 
and he bore a lot of the brunt of that, even though uh, on a personal level it's absolutely not anything to do with him or, or his issue whatsoever. All you hope for for any Celtic player, regardless of their perceived ability, is that they come in and try their best and and hopefully then deliver on, on the back of that, which I think he did do. Um, in terms of other pass marks, Joe Hart, again, made a couple of good saves, but I, I personally feel my heart's in my mouth, not to, please excuse the pun, but my heart's in my mouth a little bit with Joe Hart. Um, as each game goes by, I just get the feeling that even though he's occasionally that instinct is still there to make certain saves, I do feel as though he is just kind of one or two steps away from a really significant error. And um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of, of what he was doing. Um, in the defence, Liam Scales, I think the goodwill for him is starting to wear off a little bit. I think his weaknesses are starting to show through a little bit more. And although he's been absolutely fantastic this season and has definitely delivered above and beyond what we expected of him, he um he's starting to show why he definitely isn't, you know, the answer to our problems at the back. And that's no sort of slight on the guy. He he's he's delivered at a time when we really, really needed him. Um and that's to be commended, but he's not our long term solution, uh, certainly at centre back. Whether he goes back to a position of playing left back or not, I don't know. But um as far as a centre back's concerned, I'm I'm pretty convinced that we need to be looking at other options. Um Burnaby. Well, it says something when you're itching for Greg Taylor to get back from injury, let's put it that way. Um, Burnaby, <laughs> I want to I want to do the kind of whole Trent Alexander-Arnold thing of going, he's, he's, he's not built to be a defender, maybe he should play somewhere else. But the difference with Trent Alexander-Arnold is he's a world-class midfielder. <laughs> so, like, the, the reason the debate happens is because he came through as a defender but has shown himself to be a world-class midfielder. Burnaby has not done that in any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I don't know what he's good at. I don't know what he's good at. Uh, he he kind of runs about like a headless chicken and that's kind of what he does. I don't... He's not a good defender. He's always left wanting. The only thing I ever see him do is occasionally make a kind of... Not a professional foul, but one of those tactical fouls to stop a breakaway from the opposition team. And that's fine, but... That shouldn't be your only notable kind of attribute. I I I I don't get him. I, do you know the only player apart from Ida who I thought really shone, and it wasn't even for the full ninety minutes, but for significant enough periods that I want to mention it was Paolo Bernardo. He was industrious almost to a fault. The guy was all over the place. He was. Covering everybody the grass, he was trying to look for runs, he was dropping into pockets of space, he was showing some of that elite ability that makes somebody top of the kind of food chain in an, an elite academy like Benfica. And I really, really enjoyed some of what I saw from him. I don't know if the instructions had changed from Brendan as to what he'd been told to do, but he certainly seemed to be playing with a little bit more freedom 
and he certainly looked as though he was um, sort of, you know, actively looking to make something happen. Um, in terms of completing utter fail marks, I mean, uh, Maeda didn't do much. Uh, Palma actually made a difference when he came on. Um, Kuhn didn't do an awful lot, although I think there's still enough there to suggest there's a player in him. But the two that I need to single out for really... The only reason being, if you'd have told me they weren't playing on Wednesday night, I would have believed you, was Matt O'Reilly and, and Callum McGregor. Matt O'Reilly first. This is the second game in a row that I would say he's had a terrible game. He had a terrible game against Aberdeen. My, my A friend of mine actually said... They thought it was one of his best, his worst performances. If not in a Celtic shirt, certainly his worst performance this season. He's followed that up with this one against Hibs. And you just wonder, despite what came out during the transfer window about him being happy to stay, he can't help it, and I don't blame the guy, if his head has been turned by the interest from abroad. Supposedly Inter Milan were interested the club confirmed there was a concrete offer from Atletico Madrid. You can't help but be distracted by that to some extent. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a Celtic player and you're asked to stay and you agree to stay, you need to get your head screwed back on and get back into the season at hand. Because unlike most other seasons, we are in a title race now. And we can't afford to be carrying anybody. Much less the player who has been our best player of the season by a mile up until now. So... Matt O'Reilly, I'm willing to give him a little bit of slack considering <coughs> recent circumstances, but he will need to get the head screwed on and get, get it sorted out pretty quickly. Callum McGregor, <coughs> he, um, I was at the Celtic Rangers game at New Year um, at Celtic Park. If not Callum McGregor's best performance of the season, maybe one of the best I've ever seen in a Celtic shirt. I came out of that game thinking, he's back. Callum McGregor's back. Everybody who said all the football he's played is catching up with him, they're all wrong. Uh, he's, he's back. Since that game, he's gone back to what he has been for the majority of the rest of the season, which is essentially posted missing. Now, I've, I've tried to watch and re-watch games to establish exactly why that is the case. And I don't know why. I don't know why. <clears throat> he, um... He... I don't know if we're bypassing the midfield or the fact that we're focusing play down the wings is the issue, but... I don't see him making any notable challenges off the opposition. I don't see him making very many notable passes. He's one of these players, again, who, if he didn't actively know he was playing the game on Wednesday night, you would not have known he was playing because he was so absent. He was so absent. It, I, I... You know, he's gone from being the player that everybody quite rightly believed um, made the team tick to the player that, you know, people are starting to question, should he even be in the team? Should we be looking at Anawata to come in for him? Should we be looking at 
moving <coughs> moving Bernardo back and 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 bringing in home further up the park. Or, you know, there there are options there, and maybe the guy's just tired. Maybe he's just exhausted. We all know the amount of football that he's played, and. It wouldn't surprise me if he's just absolutely exhausted. Um, and, I, and I think that needs to be considered. So, that's my kind of rundown of the Hibs game. Uh, that's that's my kind of summation of most of the performances or any of the notable performances for good or bad. There are a couple of major talking points that have come out of that game. Um and I will get to the major, major one uh, a little bit later on, which is Alistair Johnson's injury and where that leaves us. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll bring it up here on screen, is a comment made by Brendan Rogers. Now, again, I landed myself in a bit of hot water on Twitter, which is what I do. Um, he... So this is what he said uh, after the game against Hibs. He said... I said to the players beforehand that whatever's going on before, we now have 14 games left in the season and we have to play with our hearts and our souls and give everything to get the results and the players did that. Now, I know that um, I know that managers have to, you know, they have to try and appease fans. We know that that's the way that that's the way that this whole situation works. We have we ha- they have to say things that will get uh fans on side. And I understand that. But to say that we have to play with our heart and our soul and give everything to get the results, we may do that in the remaining thirteen games. We did not do that at Easter Road. Certainly not eleven of the players did at Easter Road. And you have to wonder why that is. And this is where I get to a point where I start talking about, you know, we've had the we've had the debate. I've I've contributed to that debate about the board, and yes, the board absolutely need to do more. The board absolutely need to back their manager more. The board absolutely need to get some of the money that they have accrued over the <coughs> recent years and spend it on improving the quality of the squad. Brendan himself has asked for that. But I tweeted it earlier in the week and I'm going to talk about it here. Nobody was talking about the board while Ange Postacoglu was in charge. And that wasn't just because we were winning and we were playing well. It was because we all saw from the way that he operated that Ange Postacoglu could get the board to do what he wanted. He could get the board to sign the players that he wanted. He could get the board to get rid of the players he didn't want. He could get the board to sanction signings that were out with the scope of what has become a very obvious recruitment model for Celtic, which is very few players over 25, very few players over a certain price point, and players from a certain, you know, a select number of clubs and nations. He ended up signing his players from Argentina, Japan, um, Korea, all sorts of places. Not all of them successes, I'll grant you, but he got them to do what he wanted to do. In addition to that, he made some players 
better than they had been previously. He restored Callum McGregor to the level of player that we all know he is when he had had some up and down periods before that. He made Greg Taylor play the best football of his career. He continued the trajectory of development of, of players like Anthony Ralston. And he got so much out of so many players that you think, well, that's what a manager's there for. Let's look at Brendan Rodgers. He is towing a party line as far as the club's concerned. Despite having said at the start of the season that he wanted more quality, he's now talking about looking at the Youth Academy, um, supposedly being happy with the signings of Kuhn and Ida, despite, and certainly in Ida's case and possibly in Kuhn's case, them not being first choice. And he's, he's out telling people in press conferences, let's not play a blame game, let's not look for people to blame for the lack of recruitment, that kind of thing. And in the same way, but diametrically opposing, that Ange Postacoglu gets the best out of some players who weren't playing that well beforehand, Brendan Rodgers has actively made some in this squad worse. Now, I know that we have lost some big personalities in that dressing room. We've lost Jota. We've lost Starfelt. You know, we've lost... Some massive, massive players have lost Aaron Moy to, to retirement. Some big players who had a big impact on what we did last season. But we still have O'Reilly. We still have McGregor. We still have Kyogo. We still have Abada. We still have all of these players who delivered to some extent under Ange, sometimes completely excelling themselves, especially in the case of Kyogo. What's happened to those players? Kyogo's now in a position where He's not even a guaranteed first starter anymore. Greg Taylor has returned, if not become worse than the player he was before Ange arrived. Callum McGregor's completely fallen off a cliff. And Matt O'Reilly is probably the only one you would say has slightly improved since, uh, since Brendan came in, even though he was already at a very high standard beforehand. So it's at that point that you have to say to yourself, when do we stop looking at all the external factors and saying Brendan's doing what he can with the, the tools that he has and start saying, no, actually, Brendan Rodgers needs to do a little bit better here. Brendan Rodgers needs to do what he's paid for, which is motivate the players, uh, assign them tactics that, that definitely work for them and make them understand what their roles are in the team. And when I look at that game against Hibs the other night, if we don't get those two penalties, I don't think we even win the game, never mind draw it. And a major reason for that is I feel like the players go out in the park and a lot of them don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Callum McGregor said as much under Neil Lennon before he left. And he's playing in a similar manner now. Would he ever say publicly under Brendan Rodgers that they go out not knowing what they're trying to do? I don't know that he would, certainly not at this stage. But it's very clear to me that they don't know what they're doing. And at what point do we turn around and say, no, listen, we're all aware of the difficulties Brendan Rodgers is facing, but he still needs to do better with the resources that he has. Because regardless of what Celtic will or won't do, uh, we have resources that mean even our worst team should be able to make 
beat the majority of other teams in the league. You know, you can bet your bottom dollar if Ange Postacoglu had wanted Bojan Majowski from, from Aberdeen, it would have happened. If Brendan Rodgers wanted Bojan Majowski from Aberdeen, why didn't it happen? If he wanted Sidney Van Hoydonk from Bologna, why didn't it happen? I believe in those situations that Ange Postacoglu would have got those players. And this isn't meant to be a, oh, I'm, I'm lamenting over Ange. Ange is gone. Ange is done. I get that. I'm not harking back to a time that's never going to return. I'm asking why the current manager can't do the same. Because it shows when Ange did it, that it is possible. We always thought that the board that we have is difficult to work with. That they are stubborn to a fault. And they are. But it's obvious if you get the right person into that room with those people that they can be shifted, they can be made to be more ambitious, to look for players that the manager wants and to obtain those players. Brendan Rodgers isn't doing that. And to come out and make a comment like, we have to play with our heart and our soul and give everything to get the results, and the players did that, that last section, and the players did that, that's just false. Now, is he making that statement knowing that it's false but deciding he's going to defend these players, in which case, admirable enough quality in a manager? Or does he believe it? Because if he actually believes it, then I'm concerned about the, the remaining 13 games. If that is what he considers to be Celtic players, given their heart and their soul, then I am concerned about the remainder of the season. I'm concerned about the Scottish Cup. I'm concerned about the league and therefore I'm concerned about uh, our chances of qualifying for the Champions League next season, which we cannot afford to miss out on. We cannot afford to miss out on. £60 million at stake at least from qualification next season and because of the change in structure, we have to make sure that we're in there first, otherwise we could get left behind. That's my thoughts on, on Brendan and uh, and the current situation following the Hibs game. Um, before I go on to the next section, which is talking about Alistair Johnston, just want to say thanks to everybody for watching. If you are still watching, uh, the support for the podcast has been absolutely unbelievable. The best way you can continue to support the podcast, if you don't mind, is if you aren't already, please click the subscribe button below and like the video. Uh, if you are listening on audio afterwards, Whatever platform you're listening on, please follow us on that platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. And also, if you could take the time just to leave us a, a rating on the um, on the reviews. You don't have to write a review. It would be really nice if you did. But um, if you don't uh, have the time or inclination, you can leave us a five-star review and that will still really help us out in terms of getting shared and getting out there. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about, obviously, was the incident involving um, Alistair Johnston. So I'll bring that up here. Um, now, I obviously want to talk about the fact that he's injured. But before we do that, I just want to talk about the fact that um, there was a bit of debate over whether it was a penalty or not. The fact of the matter is, it's a penalty. In fact, I'm going to take this down and just talk about this quickly. Um... I see a lot of debate going on about 
the ball was there to be won. Uh, it wasn't intentional the way the Hibs player um, injured them. All this kind of stuff. Look at the laws of the game. There is nothing in the laws of the game about intention. The laws of the game are only talking about endangering an opponent. So whether it's intentional, whether it's accidental, whether it actually occurs or not, if if your action puts a player in danger of injury, then it's a, a red card or yellow card, depending on the seriousness of the incident. If you make a challenge that could break a player's leg but doesn't, it's still a red card because it's potentially endangering the player. Now, obviously, there's a a, a subjective nature to that because the, the referee has to make a judgment on how dangerous they think it is. But I'm sick fed up here in this um, debate about the ball's there to be won or there was no intention to harm the opponent or whatever. That doesn't matter. If the action you took had the potential to harm the opponent because you were reckless about it, or you you did it without enough due care and attention, then there's a potential for a red card. So the very fact that Alistair Johnson suffered a serious injury as a result of that challenge is almost irrelevant. It's the fact that the challenge itself put him at risk of that injury that was the major issue. And actually, the player got off a little bit leniently with it, I would say. But I'm not going to argue that point. It's a penalty all day long. I would be saying the same if it was another player. I I don't for a second believe that the Hibs player intended to injure Alistair Johnson and certainly not in the serious way that he appears to have become injured. But it was a penalty. Let's talk about the injury now. Um, so this is from 67 Hail Hail. Everybody knows I like my fan media website. 67 Hail Hail is one of the best of those. So if you um, are looking for Celtic news, they're one of the ones I would recommend. Um... So obviously he had that, that injury. Um, we'll look at we'll look at this. Um, so when he was asked about it, Brendan Rodgers says, now, when Alistair Johnson went down, he was grabbing his head in a manner that was really quite concerning to me. Like, obviously it's disturbing when a player gets knocked out. That's horrendous. But when a player grabs their head like that, it suggests to me like an acute, painful injury that is... As serious, if not more serious than than having been knocked out. So I was concerned about that and the fact that they didn't move him at all before he was put on the stretcher and all of that stuff. Oh, by the way, classy move. Hibs fans booing a guy getting stretchered off after a head injury. That's really nice. Um, but yeah, he was stretchered off. Uh, he tweeted that um, picture of him from the hospital bed celebrating the victory. But it was clear from the fact that he got taken straight to hospital that there were serious concerns over him. Um, so the manager said, we're just waiting on the results of a scan for him so he won't be available for the weekend. We don't think, we think he's got a slight fracture at the side of his head, so we're just waiting on that. I mean, a, a skull flat fracture, whether slight or not, is going to lead to, I would suggest, a pretty significant uh, layoff period. How significant? I don't know. I'm not. A doctor, so much less an orthopedic one or whatever one you would neuro neurology. I don't know who who would look at a skull fracture, maybe a combination of the two. But it looks like there's a significant enough time of uh, 
layoff period coming, which is concerning on a couple of uh, levels. Now, obviously, um, it's concerning for Alistair himself because a skull fracture is a serious injury. It's probably one of the most serious you can get. And so I wish him every success in getting back uh, to full fitness. Um, although I would like him back as soon as possible, um, you don't want him back any quicker than he has to be. Um, but the other much more selfish Celtic supporter reason for being concerned about this is where it leaves us in terms of defence. Cameron Carter-Vickers remains out. Stephen Welsh went off with what looked like an injury against Hibbs. Uh, Scales, as I said, isn't performing brilliantly. Rocky, I think there's still something there about him, but I think he needs a settled partner for the best of him to be shown. And you've obviously got Greg Taylor out injured. So potentially for the Scottish Cup this weekend, that leaves you with Bernabe at left back, Scales and Rocky in the middle, and Ralston at right back. Not a fantastic de- defence by any manner of means, but especially considering we've been using Ralston as a kind of backup and alternative to Burnaby when he's really been having a shocker. If we can't do that, then we're kind of stuck. But that, but this is one where I can't overly blame the board or overly blame the club. We did sign Lager, Bielka and Rocky. Maybe you can <clears throat> blame the recruitment team for the standard or lack thereof of those two players. Um, but we should have the numbers. We, we need another left back. But apart from that, we should have the numbers to cope with injuries and defence. We essentially have two back fours. The problem is, <clears throat> with this Scottish Cup fixture, we're going to be playing all four of our weakest choices at the back. Maybe not Rocky, but there's nothing to suggest he's one of our stronger choices at the moment. So, And it just makes you wonder where it leaves us. Because... Um, Defence has not been our strongest point this season and this is only going to make matters worse for us. So whatever happens, I really, really hope that that um that, that Alistair Johnston is back as soon as he can be, not sooner than he has to be, and that his injury is not serious or impacting massively on his um, the rest of his season, much less the rest of his career. I, I don't think it will, because I think we would have heard more serious noises coming out of the club if that had been the case. But, uh, but yeah, I, I wish him all the best. Um, the next item I wanted to talk about was um, going back to Kyogo and the the major issues we're finding around his um, lack of involvement or, or incre- increasing lack of involvement in the first team this season. You don't score the number of goals Kyogo scored last season with the quality that he did and the season before that and then suddenly become a terrible player, especially in the absence of a serious injury, which to my knowledge he has not had for some time. He's got that ongoing shoulder issue but he's not had it for some time. Um, a lot of Twitter detectives and other people were trying to overanalyze um, 
the the post-match celebrations after the Hibs game. Now, to my knowledge, this thing that has become traditional of doing the the um I nearly said the bouncy there. Jeez, don't tell anybody on Twitter that. They already think I'm a closet ranger supporter. Don't tell anybody that. Um doing that kind of jumping celebration with the song in the arms. Now, to my knowledge, that has become default for the player who had the best game or the player who scored the most goals or the player who just is in vogue at that moment in time to to lead that. And on Wednesday, because he got those two goals and he's a new signing and the team were trying to make him feel more at home, Adam Ida led that celebration. He had to... I think he had to get a bit of guidance as to what he was supposed to do, but he, but he did it, and he did it well. If you look at the video footage from somebody in the stands that has since gone a little bit viral on Celtic Twitter, at least, Kyogo is standing off to one side. Now, I get there'll be a little bit of him watching that thinking, that used to be me. Damn, that used to be me. It can't be him every week. He's not going to have a good game every week. And so, you know, while it might have been a little bit sulky of him to do that, I can, to some extent, understand why he's disappointed. Maybe not disappointed from a personal point of view of jealousy or anything like that. He's maybe just using that opportunity to reflect on what's going so wrong with his season. My suspicion is that it isn't all his fault. Because whether it's Ida, whether it's Kyogo, whether it's blooming Kylian Mbappe playing up front for us, if you're getting the level of service that our wide players are given, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not going to score goals. And Kyogo doesn't have a physical presence up front that means he's going to be able to battle for the ball himself. He's a player who finds spaces, who runs onto balls, who drops into pockets, that kind of thing. He's not going to battle through a, a, a defence the way Adam Ida could or, or, or maybe even O. But this again goes back to the conversation we had earlier in the podcast. What about the style of play has changed so much that Kyogo has dropped off so much? And regardless of what Brendan wants to do, my suggestion would be that you play to the strengths of your best players because those are the players that are going to get the mo- you're going to get the most out of in terms of quality. Why is he not saying, I've got Kyogo in this team. I've got this gem at my disposal. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to get the most out of this guy because he's the best player we have. And I maintain that he is the best player we have on his day. If you take every player in isolation out of the Celtic squad, Kyogo is by far the best footballer we have. Matt O'Reilly might be making a case this season for being better. But only since he started playing this season. I think Kyogo remains, in isolation, our best footballer. And I think we should be trying to facilitate a system whereby he is serviced at all times. Because I'm telling you, you service Kyogo and you give him chances, you will get goals out of him. That is no debate. No debate. Our old favourite Chris Sutton decided to comment on this um, in his column for the Daily Record. Now, I got this um, got this news story off of, where was it? Celts are here. Celts are here, which again is another one of my favourites. Um, Chris Sutton criti- critiques Brendan Rodgers' use of Kyogo at Celtic. So, 
the whole same thing that I've been saying is Kyogo thrived under Ange Postecoglou's high tempo strategy. His final opportunities harder to come by since since Rogers took charge. I do think there's some element of, um, you know, there's stats coming out now about m- the majority of our passes between being between the back four and Rogers and the the build up style being slower. I do think uh, Kyogo thrived off of that high tempo always attacking play that Ange Postecoglou liked to do. I do believe that. Um, and that's certainly not the way Rodgers is playing. Um, uh, and like, like they say in this article here, past signings like Moussa Dembele and Odds- Odson Edward, as well as recent addition Adam Ida, are evidence of the manager's penchant for physically imposing forwards, which is what I said um, about the reason why Ida might work slightly better than Kyogo in this system. This shift has left Kyogo despite being one of the most dynamic attackers in Scotland, attackers in Scotland dropped to the bench. Here's what Chris Sutton had to say about it. Brendan Rodgers has been outspoken about needing quality, yet he can't find a way to get the best out of the highest quality striker in the country. Now he's being left out the side. If that continues, could it lead to him inevitably looking to leave? Kyogo has gone from being the most feared forward in Scotland to barely getting a chance in a game. It's actually quite remarkable, and for me, it's not got that much to do with the boy himself. Before he goes any further, he says, that's not a slight on Adam Ida. The Irish striker was given the opportunity against Hibs and he grabbed it with his two goals. Ida might do well for Celtic, but don't tell me he's a better striker than Kyogo. It's almost painful to see what has happened to the Japanese striker over the past few months. The guy scored 27 league goals and 31 starts last season, 8-21 and 21 this season. He is the difference maker and he's shown it in two seasons as a big game player. Chris Sutton absolutely nails it there for me as far as Kyogo is concerned. He is the best player we have. He's the best striker in the country, never mind at Celtic. And I think we need to do more to incorporate him in. My suggestion is, and Brendan, I know that you look to me for tactical suggestions. My suggestion is that we look at finding a way to partner either with Kyogo. I got, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek what I tweeted, but I did get a little bit of um, comeback from people when I suggested that that system has worked well for us before. It did work well for us with Larson and Sutton. Uh, it's worked well for us, I think, Van Gen- uh, Jan Venegura-Hesselink and Scott McDonald played all it together. And it's a kind of old-school way of looking at it, but this kind of big-man-little-man situation where the big man is the physical presence who the ball kind of bounces off of to create the chances for the littler guy. That could work well between either and Kyogo. And if it did, and you were able to increase the number of chances that Kyogo gets, I think that you would have a winning combination there. Again, that goes back to the conversation whether we have enough strikers to support that system. But, because if you end up playing two of them regularly, you've then only got one reserve striker in... in um, in O, whereas right now, if you're playing one up top and you've got two reserve strikers, you're maybe a little bit more uh, robust in terms of avoiding injuries and things like that. But I think that could be a possibility. I really do. I think he, um, I think Ida has shown that he's got the work rate um, and that maybe actually his finishing is the slightly weaker part of his game. So why not complement them both by saying, Ida can provide the physical presence that Kyogo can't. Um, and 
Kyogo can provide the the quality in front of goal that maybe Ida can't, and they can they can work off each other that way. That's that's my that's my suggestion as far as that's concerned. So talked about Kyogo, talked about Hibs, talked about Brendan. My last um topic of the day is going to be um a little bit of a look at Quan at St Mirren. Now, there's a couple of reasons I want to, to talk about this. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Quan came to us in the summer. I'm sure you will know. Um, he came to us in the summer from what turned out to be the Korean uh, second tier, I think. Um, and kind of was absolutely posted missing. I saw him play... Uh, and James Forrest's testimonial against Athletic Bilbao, and to say he was one of the worst players I've ever seen in a Celtic shirt is an understatement. He looked like a competition winner who had won the chance to appear in James Forrest's testimonial for the day, and I mean that in the worst way possible. I often talk about when you go and see these testimonials or whatever where they ask celebrities to play. I once saw Gerard Butler playing up front with Henry Larson and he was absolutely atrocious. Kind of makes you appreciate just how good professional footballers are. To be fair, in response to some of that criticism, Gerard Butler says, I got to play up front for Celtic with Henry Larson. Did you? No. So, fair enough. <laughs> but, I mean, Quan was awful. He didn't seem to know where the ball was. He was bouncing all over the place. He just looked like a big lump of a lad in the middle of the park who just didn't really know what was going on. So he was loaned out to St Mirren in January. And as far as I know, I think he's had two man-of-the-match performances for a St Mirren team that are playing well this season already. But he's gone straight in and he's proved himself to be useful. Apart from the fact he's also proved himself to have a good set of pipes if you watch his uh, inauguration video or initiation video um, at, at St Mirren. Um... But this is a, a an article, I think, from the Celtic Star that said, um, by all accounts, the big midfielder is winning many admirers amongst the Buddies supporters and was a standout in the recent win against Hibernian at Easter Road. This is good news not only for Stephen Robinson's side, but for Celtic, as we could be getting a more com- confident and accomplished midfielder when the South Korean heads back to Celtic Park this summer. This could be the making of Quan. He's been harshly judged by some supporters despite him barely featuring the first team. Hopefully Quan follows the likes of Christopher Eyre, Ryan Christie and Liam Scales who all had beneficial loan spells at fellow Scottish clubs before coming back to Celtic Park to make their appearances in the first team. And this is something that I think we do need to consider. We've had we've had um, successful periods. I think um, Eyre was at... Uh, Kilmarnock, Ryan Christie was at... I, I always get this mixed up. He was either at Inverness Cali and then we signed him and then he went on loan to Aberdeen or he was at Aberdeen and we signed him and he went on loan to Cali Thistle. Can't remember what way around it was. And then Liam Scales was obviously on loan at Aberdeen as well. So there is a tried and tested method for certain players who maybe need to get used to the Scottish game going out on loan. And what I like about the fact that Quan's gone to St Mirren is He's not going to like one of the worst teams in the league. I'm gonna do you know what? That's that's twice I've said something about St. Mirren um having a good season. And <laughs> somebody's gonna say in the comments, uh they're not No, they they are, they're fifth. They're fifth. Right, okay. So they're doing well. 
they're doing well. <coughs> um, yeah, so he's gone to a team, it's not as if he's gone to a team like Ross County who are just going to get pumped every week and he's not going to really learn anything from it. He's gone to a team who are trying to play good football, who are being reasonably successful in the league this season and who are trying to stick to a way of playing football that you would imagine would suit him well for coming back to Celtic. Now, it may be that St Mirren is just his level and that if he ever tried to come back to Celtic and play for us and play in higher um, standards of football or play in the Champions League or something like that or the Europa League, that he wouldn't be up to that level. Maybe St Mirren is just... He's, he's one of those players who's awkwardly too good for a certain level but not good enough for another level. But if it turns out that St Mirren have recognised that he's a good player, they've identified him for a loan, they've gone and got him successfully, they've brought him in, they've started playing him and he's immediately started playing well, I then have questions about what the hell was going on at Celtic. Why was nobody noticing this player that we had on our hands? Um, or if they did notice, what, what about it? What about him was it that meant he couldn't get into the team? Because, let's face it, nobody in the Celtic squad, maybe Matt O'Reilly aside, has really nailed down their place in the team this season. Everybody's spot has been up for grabs, and I include Callum McGregor in that, as we've talked about earlier in the podcast. So, <laughs> I would have to start asking questions about whether... The coaching staff at Celtic are, are correctly assessing the players because if they can go somewhere like St Mirren and make a, a, a go of it where they won't have the resources or the finances to assess players and, and train players and motivate players the way that we do then there's got to be something wrong at our club that we're not able to do that. Now it might be that there's something been going on in the background that we just have no idea about and everybody's just said, you know what? This guy needs a change of scenery. He needs regular football that he's not going to get here. And so we'll send him to St Mirren. But I will be interested to see it. And I'm actually thinking about uh, watching a few more St Mirren games in isolation just to assess uh, Quan. Um, Another idea that I was having, and please let me know in the comments or let me know um, on Twitter anywhere that you can or in the community tab on the on the YouTube channel. If you know of a St Mirren podcast or any any, you know, St Mirren fans in the in the fan media space who I could get onto the podcast to talk about Quinn's performances, I would really like to do that because I think it'd be beneficial for us as Celtic supporters to get a little bit more um understanding of how he's playing for them. So um yeah, that's that's something that I really would like to do. Thanks very much, everybody. That's um that's the end of the podcast for me today. Um, I thank you for watching or listening, whichever you've been doing. Um, I've really enjoyed recording this today, but I do miss uh, not having people in the live comments. I will do my best to be back up and running for live podcasts from next week onwards. Um, but in the meantime, please, if you could like, subscribe, download. Uh, do all that good stuff and share any of the podcast clips with people that you think might enjoy them. That would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. I've been Laura Bradburn. This has been Thoughts on the Hoops and we will see you again next Friday. <laughs>